0: Welcome back to the She Built This podcast. If you have been listening to my podcast for a little bit now, um, you probably know that once a month, and sometimes it takes us a little bit longer than that, honestly, because we get a little crazy over here. Um, but once a month, approximately, Lindsay Taylor of Naughty Good Bites and I do a collaboration episode in which we highlight her Naughty Good Naughty good Bite Woman of the Month That is always more than just a little bite um, here on the podcast. And these women that we've had on so far, they tell the stories of being bold and courageous and generous through hardship. And I think that you're going to find that today's guest, Sadie Raymond, is no exception. Sadie was nominated as a woman who exemplifies being thankful, and Sadie is going to share the story of her son Corbin and his brush with death. It is a beautiful story of resilience, grit, perseverance, and love, and reminds us the true meaning of being thankful for everything and everyone in our lives. And I do want to warn you before we just dive right in, I know that some may be sensitive to these issues and topics, and there are themes of death in the episode, as well as a very graphic description of a car accident and some anatomical trauma. Um, so if you feel that any of those things are topics you want to avoid, please skip the episode, and I'll see you next week for the next one. Um, Sadie's son, Corbin, was he was fighting a battle for his life in the ICU at Boston Children's and Spaulding Hospital for 121 days. And today we're going to hear that story of Corbin and Sadie's fight against all odds. So without further ado, here's the episode. And welcome back to the She Built This Podcast. Thanks,
1: Emily. It's been um our last one was the beginning of December, so I feel like it's so much
0: has happened. The I know it's thing. been it's New been year. a hot minute. Right? <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask you, I know that you listened to the episode on streaking, mm-hmm. and I know that you started a streak where you were going to express thanks to someone every single day and I want to ask you how that's going it's going pretty good I've
1: kept it all right so the thing was streaking if anybody hasn't listened to the episode it's all about keeping it super super simple so I'm not you know as we just talked about rolling out the red carpet every time I say thank you to somebody I mean it could legit just be a comment on somebody's post or you know thank you for reminding me of that or thank you for um you know anything like that. I just be kept it really, really simple. And so far, so good. I
0: can't complain. Well, good. That's awesome. And I, I actually have a streak of rowing going this this month, but I don't need to like actually do a lot on my rower. My goal is just to like sit on the rower and row. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so some good. sometimes like this morning, that was like two minutes and I came upstairs. My husband's like, that's it. I'm like, look, the streak is the streak is to row, my friend. <laughs> no, the streak is to sit on the rower. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, I sat on it, I texted, I'm good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So on the topic of thankfulness, I thought you might like to introduce everyone to today's guest who is our naughty good bite woman of the month, Sadie.
1: Yes. So every month, um, as you all know, we choose a woman and it's nominated by other women to be featured as a Not A Good Woman of the Month. Um, And this past November, I actually nominated this person myself to be our Be Thankful Woman of the Month. And that is not because she wouldn't have been nominated by thousands of other women. Um, I just knew her story. I knew it had to be told and I decided I'm going to honor her. Um, And so I have had the pleasure of knowing her since childhood. She is one of the most beautiful women you'll ever meet, both inside and out. Um, Her story is all about hope, resilience, triumph, and above all, for sure, love. And it will remind you that being thankful can turn what we have into enough. So I say everybody needs to buckle up. They need to grab your tissues um, because we're going to introduce you to the inspiring Sadie Raymond. So Sadie,
2: welcome. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here.
1: I know it's been um so Sadie and I go way back to high school so we're not going to really say how many years it's been oh
0: so you've known each other for like ten years or so yeah yeah yes. right Sadie oh, yeah just ten <laughs> yeah just 10.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we were just trying to do the math and we were like mm, it's been a while but um but we could follow each other on Facebook so um. But still, um, still such an awesome, um, same awesome person. So um, she's just grown into herself even more. So Sadie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Kind of the basics. The
2: basics. Um, I think the main thing, um, I am a mom of four kids. I guess that's kind of been the majority centered around my life. Um, My oldest uh, is Corbin. He's 19 and my youngest, four. So I've got... I've got them in college. I've got them in preschool. I've got them um, every every age. Um, so that that's that's what I spend most of my time doing. Um, that keeps you very busy. Plenty well, busy. So, so busy, it really does.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. That's quite a gap between nineteen and four.
2: It is. It is. Um, Yeah, I, you know, it was, I had three and I was like, that's where I'm going to stop. That was, you know, I always wanted four. And then it was like, I had the three and I was like, nope, my hands are full. Um, And then, lo and behold, I have another one.
0: (laughs) I wasn't going to ask about the details of why the gap, (laughs) but I mean, since you put them all out there, I might as well go there. (laughs) Um, all right. So I'd love to, to like, just kind of kick us off. Why don't you tell us what being thankful means to you just sort of like on a high level?
2: Um, you know, I, to me, I think being thankful, um, to be thankful, to be truly thankful, you have to appreciate the things that you have in your life. Um, I think you have to appreciate them, I think you have to stop and take time um, every day to kind of reflect on what you have. Um, I think, you know, taking, you know, for me personally um, my biggest thing that I'm thankful for is my children of course. So, you know, it's not, it's not the big things in life, you know, it's not like we've, we've got this great home that we're in every day. For me, it's the time that, you know, when I get to kiss them goodnight or when everybody's sitting around the table and everybody's finally home for dinner and everybody's laughing and having a good time. Um, for me, taking those times to reflect um, on what I have, that's what really truly being thankful is to me.
1: Yeah, it's not what we don't have, right? Or what we, what we wish to have. Like, it, it's not always greener on the other side. It's what we have in the moment. And I, I love that you point that out.
0: I heard this amazing meditation yesterday along these same lines where he, he asks you to take a moment in your day when you felt you're most stressed out and you're most overwhelmed and like you most hated your life. And I was like, okay, got it. <laughs> and then he says, imagine the people on earth that want to trade with you for that very moment like their lives are not even close to your worst moment of your day and I was like oh that is like so like when you look at it like that even your overwhelmed moments become something that you're thankful for because you're like well I was overwhelmed because I have a client that pays me really well or I was overwhelmed because I have four beautiful children that are driving me a little insane (laughs) So I really, really loved that. And I, I love your take on thankfulness, Sadie.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah. I think that you're so right. And you know, that's something that I think that my mother taught me since I was little. It was it was always like it can be worse. Somebody has it worse, you know? Um and so to like you said, like you, you like you said, it's not as bad as you think it is. It's never it's never as bad as you think it is.
1: Yeah, and I think that that um, leads me into an exactly the question I want to ask you about because it's all about perspective. I think when we've been when we've been in certain situations, but it's also looking at your perspective in relation to somebody else's worst, right? But if you have had tragedy hit you, it changes a little bit the way you look at being thankful and the things that you're thankful for, right? So there's that perspective that you can you can compare it to maybe your worst day but not necessarily somebody else's worst day. So there's that kind of spin on it too. So I'd love for you to share with us how kind of your life journey. Um, and of course, the um, specifically uh, over the past few years um, has helped you to formulate kind of this meaning of being thankful.
2: Uh, yeah, that that's a huge part of our life now. Um, I guess it starts with, I, I've always thought I knew what thankful was. You know, um, I thought my mom taught me really well with that. Um, but like you said, when you go through, through certain things that absolutely changes your perspective on everything. Um, and, and I guess my, my moment was my oldest Corbin, um, was 16 at the time and he was a passenger in a car and got into a car accident. Um, and you know, he was brought to the first hospital, which told us to say goodbye, um, airlifted to Boston children's, and at that point you know he was in a coma It's a really long, long story, um but he was in a coma with no brain activity for you know at least a month and I remember sitting there you know watching him fight for his life and thinking what I would give for you know those days at home that I thought were so boring when you know, like you said, maybe the kids are driving you crazy, everybody's asking you something, and the house is a mess and all I wanted was that again, you know, I didn't want to be sitting into that hospital room, listening to those machines beeping and, um, just wanted that, that boring and that normal. And it gives you a whole new perspective on, you know, what to be thankful for and not take anything for granted.
0: Yeah. Do, you, I, I, do, I, do you I, mo- Go ahead. Anne. No, sorry. I didn't follow my own rule. The two second rule. <laughs> um I just want to know more about the car accident. I guess um, I know this is part of your story that you're sharing with people. So, when, where was he off to, and like who was driving? And I, I need to know more about that before we get into the other things. Sure.
2: Um, so it was Fourth of July, two thousand eighteen. um Corbin had his license for less than a year, and he wanted to. Um, go tubing down the river um with his friends. And so, I was really reluctant to let him go. He was 16, it's a bunch of boys, I know. Um it's just, you know, worried about what 16-year-old boys are going to do. Um but I let him go. I was working that day. I was going to be doing a double, so um all my older kids had plans and so, you know, he got into the car. He was in the back seat sitting behind the driver and you know, they were being teenage boys and they were driving down um, a windy road in town, probably a 30-mile-an-hour, maybe even 25-mile-an-hour road, and um, the it was one car. He was in the backseat of the car, and there was nothing else involved. They were just flying. The driver lost control of the car. Um, it it went through somebody's driveway. It did a flip in the air. It hit the ground. It did a second flip. It finally landed against a tree. And the point of impact was the back seat passenger and right where Corbin was sitting. And, um, he, so that, so that happened. Um, I'd said goodbye to Corbin in the morning. I was at work. I got a phone call. Um, Corbin's best friend is my nephew they were supposed to be together that day. And I got a call saying my nephew had been in a bad car accident. He was trapped inside the vehicle. So, you know, nobody had any answers as far as Corbin was with him yet. And so, um, I left work. I flew down to the road. I knew the accident was on. And when I got there, the tree was, I mean, the car was still up against the tree. Um, I was so confused because the car looked like a convertible um, and it was white and it looked like it had red interior. And I was, I was like, this, this can't be it. This can't be the car. None of Corbin's friends have a white convertible. Um, And I got out and started talking to the officer and found out that Corbin was indeed in the car. Um, I got there so quick that Corbin had been, Um, brought in the ambulance already but the other three that were in the accident were still on the accident scene in the ambulance Um, and the officer said he confirmed Corbin was in the accident and just said all I can tell you was he was alive when he left in the ambulance oh
0: wow wow
2: Sadie yeah so and come to find out it wasn't a convertible. Um, they had to use the jaws of life to get Corbin and my nephew out of the back of the car. And it was a white interior and the inside was just covered in Corbin's blood. Ugh. Yeah. Uh,
1: and I I know you mentioned, you spoke, mentioned briefly about, you know, having to go from one hospital down to children's, but I love this part about, I don't like love any of the, you know, in any of the story, but it's very, it says a lot about who you are the part of the story when they tell you to say goodbye and you said, Oh heck no.
2: Yeah, it was, um, I don't, you know, there was this one moment that, um, we were all sitting there in the waiting room. Corbin was in surgery that already been been informed that, um, you know, they weren't sure he was going to make it through surgery and they came out and they said, um, so Corbin has, He's out of surgery, and we're going to wheel him by. Um, but we want you all to stay in the room. We don't want anybody coming out and trying to get near him when we wheel him through. And my sister-in-law, Christine, said to me, okay, well, he survived. If he survived, we got this. Like, we've got the rest of this, and that's it. And that literally just like a light switch went off in my head, and it was like, yeah, that's that's it. That's it. There's no, there's no other choice. And so um, luckily we had a family member there who – had much more experience in the medical field than me. And he's the one that explained to me that, you know, there's different levels of trauma centers. And he said to me, you know, if, if he is this bad, then we probably should get him out of here. And once I knew that information, there was, you know, I, there was no stopping me. I, you know, the doctor said, you know, she kept trying to argue with me and say, you know, we, we, we can handle this and, um, there's no brain activity, but there's not, there's nothing else. It's been too long with no brain activity. And, you know, I just said, if he's alive, then I want him transported, you know, and they'd say, well, he's not stable enough. And I said, well, then get him stable enough and get on the f-. It was excuse after excuse. And I just was like, no, there's no, you're not stopping this. It's going to happen. And so, um, family members started making calls to Boston children. Uh, we made sure the doctor was doing it. And within an hour, we had a helicopter there to uh, have him airlifted to Boston Children's.
1: Kudos to you. That's it's really powerful. But like you said, thankful for, was it your cousin or somebody who who knew, the family member, who knew that
2: um, you could get him to Children's, that you had to advocate for his care? Yeah, it was a family member, um, Paul Raymond. Um, I had no idea. You know, you expect the doctors know what they're talking about. You're at the hospital. You don't know about insurance and coverages and you don't just kind of assume that what they say is they know better than you, you know, they went to school a lot longer than you for this. And so you just kind of assume it. And, um, I really believe that if he stayed there, he probably wouldn't be alive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, I think a lot of your instincts, um, stepped in and that's, you know, I such a I remember reading it in the Karenbridge um, that you had mentioned something about that early on, and it was just it was like wow, you know, it's it's what we'd do for our kids, and um, you know, there wouldn't have been any anything that got in your way.
0: I hope this isn't um, tr- trite to ask, but how do you, do you remember how you were feeling at that time? Was it just like all kind of adrenaline, saying I need to get him to the next place, or were you kind of like, I mean, I think I would be collapsed on the floor.
2: <laughs> uh, I do. I remember really well. Um, it was, it was almost like an of body experience. Um, but there's so much leading up to it. Um, before Corbin went into his first surgery, they brought me in and sat me um, in the emergency room that he was in when they were working on him. And he was like just a lifeless bloody body on the table. And they told me nothing. They just sat me in a chair and you know, I think eventually somebody said to me, they thought they were going to lose him. So they brought me into the room. Um, So that was leading up to it all. Um, You know, doctors came in before surgery and said, we might have to remove part of his skull because his brain is swelling. And, you know, we don't even know if we're going to, you know, be able to save him. So there there was just so much shock and trauma to that point. But when the doctors came in and told us to, you know, gather the rest of the family and it was time to say goodbye, I, I think up to that point, it was denial, you know, not my kid. This can't happen. Um, this didn't happen to me. This doesn't, not my children. Um, but once they said that, I remember sitting there and my 12 uh, year old and my daughter who's 17 now, I remember they ran to me and they were both sitting on me and they're crying. And I didn't, I wasn't even crying at that point. You know, I was kind of robotically rubbing their back. Like, you know, they're, they took the news. The doctor just said their brother's going to die and I'm rubbing their back. And in my head, I'm five steps ahead. And I'm thinking, well, what am I going to do next? First of all, I need to get with him. I need to get next to him. I need to see him. I need to talk to him. Um, need to have the doctor work on this and you know so it was kind of like my mind was going ahead and I remember hearing everybody around me it was like this world was falling apart and everybody around me was screeching and crying and I remember hearing my mother say you need to give her something she's in shock she needs a tranquilizer or something
0: oh my god I was
2: just but in my head you know it was like I was preparing for the next step and this this I'm sure it was just a coping mechanism but it was like this is not happening. I am not allowing this to happen. This is what we're doing. Yeah. I think we do that. It's a
1: fight or flight, right? We are, you have two options. And when we've been um, dealt those cards, um, I know exactly, I I can put myself right there with you. And I have a completely different story, but still understand that feeling. And it's, um, it's just that fight or flight. Like you're gonna, it's one or the other. And um yeah, and to be there for the for your kids too, right? Your kids are, but your mom, you've got to be together. You know, you've got to be able to keep it together and and know what's going on and in um and like you said, prepare for that next step.
2: Absolutely.
0: So Sadie, what happened next on your journey with this?
2: Um, yeah. So we we basically we had him lifted to Boston Children's Hospital. Um he almost, he almost passed on the flight there. Um, we just, we were just all of these things just kind of like the stars aligned for Corbin that day. Um, you know, the, the town, the small town we live in doesn't have the of life life saving tools, but our next town over conquered just happened to be getting off a call, driving by the area and were there in time with those tools. Um, The med flights, they were all booked when we were trying to get them um, flown to Boston. And something happened where one got canceled, so they rerouted them to us. Happened to be one where there was blood on board and a physician, which never happens. Corbin needed all the blood they had on board. He needed the physician. Otherwise, he wouldn't have survived that one. Um, We got to... Boston Children's Corbin got there way before us because of the helicopter and he was rushed into another surgery. And, you know, we just kind of, he was in a coma for almost a month, you know, and every MRI, every CAT scan just showed no brain activity. Um, And it just was this constant battle of he needs more time. I know my son, like I know he's there. And, um, you know, he's sensitive to medication. You have him on so much stuff. It's going to take him time to wean off. And I just, I fought everything the whole time. Um, I remember even when he was, you know, they took him off all the sedation and they were trying to wake him up again about a month later. And we had this family meeting and they told us that, um, you know, he didn't even qualify to go to Spalding rehab, which is kind of where I had my mind set. It's one of the best rehabs for pediatrics in the country. And, um, that's where I knew he was going to go. And I had it, I, you know, I'd researched them all and, um, they told us that he's, he has to actively participate and he's just, he's not waking up. So he's most likely just going to be in long-term care facility in the bed the rest of his life. And I think that was the point that I broke down probably the most, um, when they told me that, you know, he sat around a table with probably 20 doctors in the room telling you that there's just, you know, he's alive and we've saved him, but you know, he's just not waking up. And so, You know, even at that point, like I said, it's just a it was just a battle of um, that's not how this is going to go. You know, I said I made an appointment myself for Spalding. I went there. I spoke to the doctors and nurses. I I begged um, everything that I could to make sure that that happened.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't there a time too that the doctors said to you, you were thinking, okay, we are on this road to recovery because he has, you know, he's alive, right? And they said to you, he has a fifty-fifty chance of survival, and you were like, wait, what?
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was, uh, yeah, that was a few nights in. The first night was just literally touch and go, touch and go, and then you know the days after that, it kind of it slowed down. You know, it was like. We've we've got him stable enough that we're keeping him alive, but it was always this constant battle. And you know, here I think i think we're we're doing good. We're not, you know, the buzzers aren't going off every three seconds now. I mean, he was life support; he was on ventilators and everything. Um, but
0: yeah, I think we're doing great. So after comes in. I want to ask I want to ask you two questions. Yes. First of all, um, I know that you documented this, and so I want you to share a little bit about like why you decided to do that and also who was kind of helping you during this time because this is n- not something that you should have to go through by yourself.
2: Yeah. Um so I guess my first thought about documenting things it was actually going to be I was getting just so many messages and phone calls and everything um Lindsay and I were just talking about that I had t- just turned my Facebook back on because of it. Um the accident. And it was, we were literally leaving the first hospital um, when Corbin was getting on the helicopter. And my daughter came to me and the boy that was driving the car was one of Corbin's best friends. He'd been um, in our lives for a really long time. And she said, he's getting really nasty messages. People are threatening him and he's, he's starting to get bullied. And um, my initial message was going to be uh, a Facebook post just to say, you know, this is the update of Corbin, and I don't want this going on. I don't want to hear about this. Corbin would not be happy about this. This is Corbin's friend, you know, and I didn't want to name names, and I didn't want to do anything like that, but I wanted to put a stop to that, and so that was my first thought about posting something, Um, and I think that, you know, I was just, there was too much going on. We got to Boston Children's, and it was the next day, and Paul, the same cousin that told us, you know, we could have a mare-lifted, came in and I started talking to him about all the messages and whatnot and he told me about Caring Bridge this website um, where I could do posts. And so basically I just started it only because Corbin's friends are family. There were just so many people sending messages and I knew they cared and I just wanted I didn't want to leave everything in the dark. I just kinda of wanted them to know how he was doing and give them updates. And that's that's just really how it started. I just thought it was friends and family. Um, and it went would- so far beyond that, Sadie, didn't it? I
1: mean, I I myself, somebody who hasn't seen you in or been in your life for 20 some odd years. Oh, I just gave them close to our age for a really long time. I remember, I'm not kidding you, Sadie, I don't think I ever even shared this with you. I'd wake up every morning and that would be the very first thing I looked. Did we get an update from CaringBridge? Every, like, I'm not kidding you. It was, and Tim and I would sit there and read it and we'd be like, oh my God. Like we were sending so many, you know, positive vibes your way. I'm getting emotional thinking about it because I remember how scary that was. I can't even imagine being in your shoes. And so, um, I think doing that allowed so many more people to be there for you without actually you knowing it,
2: you know, it's true. I didn't, um. Like we were talking about, I've always been a really private person. Um, You know, we come from a really small town, and I always just kind of, I've just been private. And so I I really didn't expect it. I think when it got done, we had over 350,000 followers on the page. Um, We had people in France and Pakistan. I mean, we had people all over the world that were following the story. Um, And gosh, I think if I knew, that many people are following, it. I probably spell checked a little and uh, worried about my punctuation because, you know, I wrote it after being up for 20 hours with Corbin or, you know. um, But yeah, I think that, like you said, the messages that I got and the feedback that I got, I didn't realize, you know, what a support system it was going to turn out to be for me, how therapeutic it was for me um, to write them and then get everybody's positive messages and you know I connected with so many people who've been through similar things and it gave me strength you know to keep fighting and doing what I was doing yeah yeah I, I remember people just within my own community who
1: I had shared it with you know I shared it to my friends on Facebook and said check this out I mean I had people in my town no clue who we are have you heard anything on Corbin how's he doing <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy
2: it was <laughs>
0: And so now you've, if I'm not mistaken, you've turned the this blog essentially um, into a book, right?
2: I have. I have. Um, yeah. Because, you know, when I wrote, when I was writing these posts, you know, I kept them very PG and I kept them very, um, you know, kind of like the upside of things. I've always tried to have a really positive attitude. And I thought, I was, you know, putting the most positive things out there. Um, there's a lot of behind the scenes. There was a lot of my breakdowns and whatnot that weren't in those posts. So there was a lot more to the story. So, yeah, I ended up turning it into a book. And the book is called? 121 Days. With, yeah. So it's Corbin. So his accident was July 4th, and we came home from Spaulding Rehab um, November 1st. So, yeah, the time from the accident to the time that I got to bring Corbin home was 121 days.
1: Wow. That is amazing, absolutely amazing. And I'd like to kind of backtrack. I know Emily, you had that other question, so um, maybe maybe we'll the question first.
0: I think she answered who who else was there for. Well, maybe not. Maybe there's more to who else was there for you in your life. But go ahead, Lindsay, and then we'll see if Sadie answered.
1: <laughs> so um, the backtracking I was thinking of is just um, I know the listeners are going to want to hear. Okay, he was in a he was in. Um, a coma for a month and kind of what it looked like between when he finally woke up from that coma and you fighting for him to get into Spaulding and his fight to be able to come home November 1st.
2: So, um, yeah, he, so he went from being, we, when we first got to children's hospital, we were in this, this kind of open room and, and the ICU and it was, you know, I kind of was like, this is strange. Like it's this open room and there's other people, there's just curtains. And they said, these are, um, the worst, you know, most severe cases that are on the floor. And so we keep them in this one area. So if we need to run respiratory in, or we need to run this doctor specialist in, they're all right together. So he went from being, um, the most severe patient in the ICU at Boston children's to, um, healthiest on the floor. So (laughs) yeah, his wake up was really slow. Um, he, you know, he had started to open his eyes and he'd open his eyes for maybe 10 minutes total, you know, a minute or two here and there. And so they finally, it was just, it just hit me really fast. He, you know, he starts opening his eyes. They still weren't getting the reactions they wanted, but, um, when I talked to Spalding they agreed. They said, "You know what? We want to give him a shot. Like if you're fighting this hard, we know that like this this is going to this can be something." So um they, the the doctor came in one day and he said, "I've got great news. Warren's the healthiest on the floor. We're going to move him up to the 10th floor and Spalding's accepted him. So at this point, we're moving you up and we're just waiting for Spalding to have an open bed." Um so when we get to Spaulding, we waited, I think it was about 10 days we were on the other floor. At this point, Corbin is still, he's not talking. Um, he's got a feeding tube. He's got a trach um, for his breathing. He's not doing anything. He's starting a little bit to say yes and no to us with a thumbs up or thumbs down. That's really his only communication. Um, he's still got his eyes closed the majority of the day. We don't know how much brain activity he's going to recover. Um, So that's, that's about, that's how he was when we got to Spaulding. Like there's, there's really nothing he was doing on his own. Um, you know, there's a catheter, there's everything he's fully, he's fully uh, still on the teams. And we were at Spaulding for about two weeks and we had a family meeting. They throw them right into therapy, hard therapy, um, hours and hours every day. And, um, I mean, he's still lifted in and out of bed. He can't sit in a wheelchair on his own because he can't, he has no muscle. He's not holding himself up. Um, and we get there about two weeks and they say, we've got great news. He's going to walk out of here. We believe he's going to walk out of here. No assistance, no nothing. And I was just like, you know, just it just hit me so hard. And I was like, wait a minute. Everybody has told me this child's not, he's going to be in a bed the rest of his life. And they said, nope, we don't think that's going to happen. And so, uh, yeah, so literally November 1st, um, Corbin learned everything again, walking, talking, getting his voice back, um, feeding himself, eating, you know, from liquids to regular food. I mean, he learned it all over again. I think we got to Spalding August 22nd and he walked out with no assistance on a full normal diet, everything November 1st.
1: And The amazing part about it, too, is that I think and I know you touch upon this in your book, as you did in Karen Bridges, the little moments that he that he started with back in August of like, just tossing a ball to his siblings, like it was literally he was it his right arm, he couldn't really move, but his like, he was able to like, just kind of toss a ball. And that was, that's it. Just that little bit to walking, like two months later.
2: He's, yeah I, I he did that it was um his younger brother Cohen had spent the night and he so is he's a lefty thank goodness um and so his right his right hand was um you know fully curled up his hand was fully closed, and so we would constantly try to open his fingers and stretch them and we would put um uh, like those stress balls in his hand and so his brother was just there with him he's lying in the bed he can't speak he can't do anything and so his Cohen his brother puts the ball in his hand and he's like just you know squeeze it Corbin because we talked to him like he knew exactly what we were saying and he understood us fully and we never acted any different. So he literally his arm was flat on the bed Cohen put the ball in Corbin's hand and Corbin just from the elbow just kind of lifted his forearm up and threw the ball at his brother out of nowhere and I was like what the heck so I you know I recorded it I've got it we, he did it like 3 times. And then I remember talking to his um, emergency doctor that was at Children's and saying, "This is what just happened." He said, "You have no idea, like the higher level of thinking, um, the the coordination between the brain and making that move. Like this is this is huge. You know, it seems like such a little thing, but they were huge, huge milestones that just kind of, for me, you know, reinforced this is going to be okay. You know, it gave me that hope." Yeah. And it, it kind of goes back to,
1: well, be thankful for what's in the
2: moment. Right, Sadie? <laughs> Absolutely. Any little tiny thing that I could get whatsoever. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I know we have a special little treat for the listeners, and that is that Corbin is with us here today on the podcast. Is that right? And he's been so quiet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hello, Corbin. Hello. I told- promised you we wouldn't call you the Miracle Man, but...
0: So one question I I do have for you, Corbin, and I know Lindsay has a really great question too. Um, do you remember anything that was happening during this time, or is this all just kind of like you have to basically read your own story like everybody else's?
3: Well, the only part I don't really remember is from the point of the initial accident and between when I threw that ball to my wow.
0: brother. So that is quite a chunk of time. Yeah. And and one more question I have. just I, I watched an interview that you two did together. Do you remember, do you still have like all of the memories from when you were young? Or are there some things that sometimes you're like, where did that go? Or where did that come from?
3: No, oh, I remember all the stuff prior to the accident. Okay. Oh.
1: Good. But it did take some time, didn't it? Wasn't it your short-term memory for a bit? Yeah. a little foggy is that yeah. right?
3: Yeah. memories if
1: yeah yeah I would um I would love to know from you, Corbin, because this obviously episode is a lot about your mom and of course you are the product of her strength um and to us like naughty good being a naughty good woman means you're living up to your potential and you're aspiring others to do the same. And although I nominated your mom, I would love to know why you might nominate her.
3: Well, I mean, she's thinking everything's going pretty good. And then that happens. So she has to change her entire life, revolve it all around initially me, because I'm in a bed, not sure if I'm going to live. And she still has three other kids that she has to take care of all at the same time.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty big deal, right? Right. Like that's, yeah, she had to give a lot of attention to you, but I think we do that as moms um, because you needed it the most. Yeah.
0: Corbin, one question we ask um, the Naughty Good Bite women of the month is what their superpower is, but I would love for you to answer what you think your mom's superpower is. Putting you on the spot.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It's great.
1: How about Sadie? If you, if Corbin can't think of it, what do you think your superpower is? And then we can ask Corbin, do you agree?
2: Well, yeah. he's So he just said strength. Um, I was going to say multitasking, but I, <laughs> I think I'm the queen of multitasking. Um, but yeah, it, that's funny. I, I, Corbin thought you were going to ask him what his superpower was because he's got a great
0: one that he loves to tell everyone. Oh, well, now we're going to. <laughs> What's yours, Corbin?
3: Um. So I like to believe I'm invincible. <laughs> you <can tell> me,
0: <laughs> even after the accident. <laughs>
3: yeah. well, I mean, Especially
0: I think. H- how old are you now? H- how old are you now, Corbin? I'm nineteen. Yeah, every nineteen-year-old thinks they're invincible.
2: <laughs> yeah, and he's had this reinforcement from the accident. He says that, and I say, "Do not say that. Do not."
0: Yeah, that's yes, that's not funny. <laughs> We're we're done giving your mom a run for her money. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I
1: that's that's funny. I am invincible that's a um but it is it's that that mentality of like well lightning can't strike twice. For right? okay. you're like no way. Like I think of that, you know, whenever anything comes in my life, I'm like, well, I can't happen again, can it? But um but yeah. It, yeah. It, it, so we are not invincible. No. <laughs> no. But you are Corbin and you're in your world, let's call it. Yeah. <laughs> that's great but I love your mom your super power for your mom because um I yeah strength is um I think she could probably move mountains if she had the um the me the means to do so and the you know and the um reason to do so is I guess the as she did with you I agree yeah yes um I want to know, Corbin, too, how has the accident maybe changed your view on your, like, maybe not your view on your mom. I think we all, when we're younger, we kind of just take our mom for granted, right? Like, we don't, it's not until we get a little bit older and maybe something like this happens. Has it changed anything?
3: Um, kind of. I mean, I think it's just kind of like I've realized the toll that she has to take, like, what she has to do in her day-to-day life. for for us, for kids, and, like, just, I don't know.
1: Yeah, and you guys are together all the time, so you see it firsthand. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. you can maybe appreciate it. And I love – Emily, can we have him back on in 20 years? I want to ask the same question because I think as we get older, right, it evolves. It changes, and it's not a bad thing that – I love your answer, but I think it just changes.
0: Yeah, we'll have you back on in 20 years because (laughs) – (laughs) uh lord knows we'll still be here (laughs) um all right so i guess this question is actually for both of you um and and corbin i'd love to know what kind of you want to do with your life and your future so what is something that you haven't done yet in your life but you want to
3: i don't know i've done quite a bit at a young age um i don't know travel the world
1: Mm-hmm. any
3: obviously.
1: specific places any I mean obviously the world's the world but is there like anywhere you're like I want to go there
3: I've always wanted to go to Cuba
0: yeah yeah don't we, we all <laughs> <laughs> all right what about you Sadie
2: um yeah Jeez. um it's a hard one. Same thing. I feel like I've done so much. I was having this conversation with my daughter the other day, and it was like, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And it's like, I mind changes. I've done so many things. You know, before all of this happened, um, I've been a massage therapist and an LNA and a real estate agent. I've done so many things, um, and it changes all the time. So, you know, I was in nursing school when Corbin's accident happened, um, and so. I guess a goal is to go back to that. That's something I've kind of, I've wanted to do for a really long long time. Um, but you know, mind changes all the time. So, uh, you know, I went from my biggest fear, not my biggest fear. I mean, I suppose once you have kids, you have lots of fears, but personal fear was always public speaking and things like that. Um, and we started doing a lot of that, when we got home uh, before COVID. And so I guess at this point, I feel like I'm on a different journey. Um so I think that, you know, with the book and whatnot, I think, you know, some public speaking, things like that, for people who've gone through TBIs and whatever we can do to support other people or, you know, help with awareness, of seatbelts and, you know, things like that. Um, I, think I think your story is so, um, it's
1: so universal, right? Even though, yes, he had a traumatic brain injury and you might speak, you know, somewhere specifically on that people can relate to it in so many other ways, regardless of what's going on in their life, right? You know what I mean? Like they can take from it what they need at that moment. It doesn't even have to be specifically related to a near-death experience per se.
2: No, not at all. Um, I think that that's one thing that I've found. Um, I've talked to so many people since this happened. I've had so many strangers reach out just because they've heard of you know Corbin's story or whatnot. I've had people from you know, a woman in hospice who was just like giving up. Um, And she read the book and she said, you know what? I've got kids and they need me still. And I'm not giving up. You know, you've, you've given me the strength to keep fighting. If you and Corbin can keep fighting, I can keep fighting. So it doesn't have to be your child. It doesn't have to be um, a traumatic brain injury. Like you said, I think that, um, you know, the positivity, the energy and, you know, just not, not giving up and being your own advocate that can, it can, it's universal, you know, it can relate to so many different stories.
0: Yeah. It's really inspiring and not, and it also shows us how much in our lives we have to be grateful and thankful for. And maybe sometimes we take them for granted or just don't, you know, don't give them the reverence that they deserve.
1: I think that the, um, you know, talking about, I think when you were saying, about inspiring so many random people I, I would assume that's what your hope for the book is too and I would encourage all listeners regardless it doesn't have to be that you've dealt with like this to be inspired by this book so I would certainly um, suggest that they go out and get themselves a copy and that's that's not like a shameless plug that's just legit like because this is truly going to inspire you.
0: Um, okay. So we're we're definitely going to include all the information for finding your book in the show notes. We have one more fun question, and then we want you to tell us how people can find you and the book. Um, we ask this of everyone, and I'm sure Lindsay knows where I'm going with it. <laughs> Which naughty good bite flavor personality do you most relate to?
2: Um, I think it would have to be empowerment. Um, I think that when I read that one, to me, it was like, you can't stop me. Don't get in my way. If I want it to happen, it's going to happen.
0: Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I'm I'm still sticking with Cranky Berry, personally. <laughs> 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 Just kidding.
1: All right, Gordon, do you have one, or did did you check them out?
3: I have not checked them out, but. Whatever the strength would be.
1: Yeah. We got to find that. We got to come up with even the empowerment. I have to say, I don't ever normally do this for anybody. But when I was thinking of them for you, Sadie, as well as for Corbin, I was like, I think she would also be notorious because you have made yourself known and it's not like in a really great way. That's why we say don't hate because making yourself known in such a positive positive, making such a positive impact um, is something that you should definitely be proud of. Um, and then Corbin, I was thinking because I've always wanted to come up with, so it's always a play on words. Our bites are a play on words. It's all about, um, I've always wanted to come up with some sort of a bite that has to do with a pie, but they would be called inspiring, right? Got it guys. <laughs> so when I come up with that, I'm going to have you in mind, Corbin, because that, um, that I feel like is, is certainly where, um, when I think of you,
0: that's where I think. And for now, Corbin, you can have legendary. How's that? <laughs> there we <you> go. <laughs> um, all right. So why don't you tell everyone how to find your book and connect with you online?
2: Sure. So um, we do have a website. It's 121days.net. Um, so you can order the book now there. Um, but February 2nd, it will be available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, Target, any of the big websites. Um, we're trying to get actually in the bunch of the bookstores as well, but any of those sites you should be able to find us, um, on the 121days.net website, we have, we've got fundraisers coming up. Um, we kind of do blog posts and, updates of Corbin and what he's doing and what's coming up for him. Um, so if you do want to continue following the story, that's kind of where we're continuing the journey. Yeah. That's wonderful. I'm um, in the,
1: in the, um, I'd like to give a little thank you to Sadie and let's see in honor of my streak, Emily, <laughs> that I'm trying to keep as well as in the honor of the theme of the show. I think um, I just want to thank Sadie for never giving up because uh, she by never giving up on Corbin, Sadie, you showed I think us what courage is and you reminded us all that it's the little things that matter most. So thank you.
2: Thank you. That's that's so sweet. Thank you so much.
0: You it's gotta nice. check you get to check that box today, Lindsay. Yeah. <laughs> I think even
1: if I wasn't on a streak, just for the record.
0: <laughs> Aww. Um, well, Sadie, thank you so much for joining us. And Corbin, thanks for making a special appearance. We really, really appreciate you both um, being here and sharing your story. And I'm excited to get a copy of the book myself.
2: Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. Thank
1: you.
0: To learn more about she built this and to join our community and get involved for yourself, visit www.shebuiltthis.org.